Well, as you can see from the screen, this is a bonus Sunday. On these fifth Sundays, we get into one of the Psalms. Dial back into the Old Testament to this ancient Hebrew poetry. And that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at Psalm 12. Uh, put on your listening ears. Ready? Don't miss it. And watch this video. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master over us. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. And that's how it ends. Isn't that great? Now, I told you that the Psalms are poetry, and that's only half true. Remember, they're songs, so they're actually lyrics, okay? And isn't that a happy tune? What a great tune. Listen, Psalm 12 both begins and ends with the depravity of mankind. It's not a pretty picture. It's that it's a fallen world down here. It's a mess. It's broken. It's all twisted up. It's a mess. It says nobody is godly. Nobody is faithful. The faithful have vanished from the land. They're gone. It says that not only is vileness done, but vileness is now exalted as, look at this, isn't this great? And isn't that what happens in our world? It's vileness and everybody lies. Everybody flatters. Everybody boasts. Everybody is double-hearted. That means two-faced. It's everybody. It's not a pretty picture. And that's a song. I want you to use that. Parents, use that as a lullaby. No, don't do that. That would terrorize your children. It's a, it's a terrible song. It's hard. But what it's speaking about is, listen, I've mentioned your kids, right? Okay. So, you know your kids lie? Did you know that? Nobody taught them to lie. You didn't teach them to lie. They are born natural, born liars, and it's all of us. In fact, to get a little sniff, enjoy this. How did the marker get on your face? Put it on your face. Uh, Daddy. Daddy put it on your face. Yeah, Daddy. And who put the toothpaste on your face? Daddy. Oh, Daddy did that too. I think it was you. No, Daddy. No, who drew on Mommy's mirror? I don't know. Was it you? No. Who was it? It's Batman. <laughs> Batman. Batman did it. Did you eat hot chocolate? Are you telling me lies? What's on your face? What's on your face? Um, uh, sauce. What sort of sauce? Um, black sauce. Charlie, what are you eating? Okay. You didn't eat anything. Yeah. Okay. John, can you explain to me why, why the sprinkles are empty? Did you eat those sprinkles? No. I did not. Yeah, sprinkles. John, mm -hmm. you have sprinkles on your face. 
Natural born liars. Nobody taught them to do that. They just do it. And I'll tell you what, you lie, I lie, we all lie. That's what Psalm 12 says. It's all of us. And my fear is that as we grew up, we didn't get more holy. We just got more clever. Like we know not to blame it on Batman. Like that's ridiculous, but, but we still, we still do it, right? Psalm 12 then is all about using words to do harm, to do damage. Now, what's the big deal? Like, it's just some, it's some marker on the mirror and blame it on Batman. It's kind of cute. It's kind of silly. There's Psalms that actually address bigger things like murder and causing people pain and oppression and theft and big things like that. This is just words. Like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Bullcrap! Like, like, that's not true, right? That's not true. In fact, instead, look at what the scriptures say about it in James chapter 3, verses 6 and following. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's more true than sticks and stones. It's a deadly poison. Now, what's interesting is if you look at Psalm 12 or James 3 or Ephesians 4, these passages that talk about how words can do harm. What's interesting is nowhere in the scriptures do you find a list of nice words and naughty words. We think it's there. It's just not there. It's not in there. It's about the heart, not about word choice. Like, for example, take the word jerk. That's a word I can even say from the pulpit, right? Not everybody agrees on words I can say from the pulpit, but uh, that's one I can, I think. And so what if I say to my precious wife that was, she was sitting right here for service, I say, Shannon, you are an absolute jerk. Or what if I use the same word and I say, honey, I am so sorry. I have been such a jerk. Same word. One used to harm, one used to heal. One is blessed by God, one is not. And it's not about word choice. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. See, the issue is using words to do harm. That's what's going on here. And we do it as individuals. Listen, uh, you have been harmed by words. You, you know that, right? Like a lot of what you wrestle with mentally and emotionally on a daily basis is, is whether you know it or not, it's based on words that have been said to you that are still echoing around in your soul, chewing you up. We hurt each other as individuals. We also do this as a nation. We use words to do harm. We used words to keep slavery going even after slavery was over. Did you know this? It's called the criminal leasing system. What happened, just a little history here, the 13th Amendment is the one that abolished slavery. Praise God for that. But there was a clause in there that says this doesn't apply to criminals. And you understand that, right? Like we lock people up. We put them in chains. So it's kind of like slavery. So there had to be an exception clause there. So what happened is the southern states latched onto that and they came up with something called the black codes. Just words, people, but just words. The black codes, and these were new laws that applied only to black people and subjected them to criminal prosecution for such offenses like loitering. 
or uh, things like uh, breaking curfew or not showing proof of employment. So if you couldn't get a job because you're black, oh, you're a criminal, you're in jail now. Or you have a job and you don't have the papers on you, prison. And what it did is it intentionally returned all these free slaves to chains. And then white business owners, plantations, railways, mines, could come along and lease these criminals and forced labor, hard labor, dangerous labor, and of course black folks didn't get a dime. But white businesses got rich. Doesn't that sound like slavery? They called it slavery by another name. That's just a word issue, right? But you see what happened there. You see what happened. Twisting words to hurt the poor, to hurt the oppressed. And by the way, that went on until the 1930s. Here's my point. It's a mess down here. It's a mess. And words are causing great harm. And we're a part of it. So we should probably stop putting our hope and our trust in a broken, fallen world or putting our hope or trust in people. It's a mess. And so what should we do instead? Well, look how the psalm begins. The first three words are, save, O Lord. Save, O Lord. And then the psalmist goes on to get specific. If you look down the list there, he says, may the Lord cut off their lips. Ooh, <laughs> that's kind of gross. It's kind of, but remember, it's lyrics, it's, it's poetry. What it is, it's a wish for justice to be done on earth because it's such a mess down here and so much harm is being done. This is King David singing to God saying, make it stop. Make it stop, Lord. But you see that people, we're not very worried about it. With our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? It's just pure arrogance throwing down the gauntlet saying, hey, who can pick that thing up? No one's going to stop us and we're not going to be held accountable for our words. Verse five, God says, I will now arise, says the Lord. God picks up the gauntlet and he says, I will take that challenge. And people are either ignorant of what is coming or, or the blood ought to drain from our faces. So the Lord arises to put the needy and the poor into the safety for which they long. But time out, what is that? Because depravity, remember, or the, it's the bookends of the psalm. It actually gets worse by verse 8 at the end there, where vileness is not even, not just done, but it's exalted. Psalm 12 does not have a cheery ending. By the end of the psalm, it still stinks. What a bummer of a psalm. So what's it mean that God arose? Well, it means two things. And they're staring at you right there. It's his presence and his promise. That's what it means. Let's talk about his presence. So the refuge in the psalm, in the midst of all this brokenness, is the pure word of God. It's in contrast to the word of man. God's word is pure, purified seven times. Seven is the number in the scriptures for completion or perfection. God's word is perfect. There's no duplicity in the Lord. Uh, he is not two-faced. He is transparent. He has nothing to hide. Who he is in public is who he is in private. His words reveal that. I, I had a boss once who was not the same in public and in private, and that's a lack of integrity. But that's not how God is. God says what he means and means what he says. I love that. He says what he means and he means what he 
says. And for us, his words are gracious and merciful and gentle and loving. He's a great God with great pure character. And what he does is he gives us himself, his presence. He doesn't always take us out of the fire. More often than not, he leaves us in the fire. But like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he enters into the fire with us, gives us his presence. And so in the midst of a broken, depraved, messy world where everybody lies, where everybody hurts with their words, we have a God who walks alongside us daily. I will now arise, says the Lord. And he gives us his presence. But he gives us not only that, but he gives us also his promise. It says that he will guard us from this generation forever. Meaning this is an issue of eternity that's on the line here. Now, there may at times be earthly justice. Yep, might be. But more often than not, no. And so this is a promise of ultimate justice, which, by the way, is going to nail all of us. Like, there's a part of me that, like, I can't wait for God to bring justice. Get him, God. And God's going to say, yeah, but what about you? Right? Because I'm not the righteous one. I'm not the sinless one, right? I'm going to be nailed by that as well. Nobody is faithful. Everyone utters lies. The psalm is very clear. And so my hope is not in me, but in the fact that God saves and we are going home because he's the one that keeps and guards and saves. His presence and his promise. That's what makes a difference in a broken, fallen, messy world. And that's real stuff. So I I remember I had a boss once that should have known better, but thought he was like the final judge and uh, might makes right, and he was the boss, and he really mistreated me. Uh, But during that season, it was a hard, long season, but my comfort was in the presence and the promise of God. In his presence, God walked beside me through that time, comforted me, spoke to me, strengthened me, gave me the ability not to return evil for evil. That's his presence. And then I relied on his promise that God is on the throne. And when the wicked oppress and get away with it, they don't get away with it. They don't. God has the final say. Human might does not make right. And by the way, when we're in positions of power and influence, we ought to keep that in mind that we execute our power under the watchful eye of a holy God. And when we get away with it, we don't get away with it. And when you're not in power, when you are oppressed, uh, we should be comforted that the powerful wicked are not the final say. God will speak. God will judge. All right, so what do we do with Psalm 12? Well, I want to give you three things. The first thing is this. Be real about the pain of this world. Like the Psalms are so real, they're so raw, they're so honest, and they're in the Bible. The Bible's like that. Right? So these are examples to us to be real with God about the pain in our lives and to be real with each other. Let's quit pretending. Second thing is this. I want you to embrace the contrast of this psalm. The world is broken, but God is glorious. That's Psalm 12 right there. The world is broken, but God is glorious. The world is broken. Listen, let's quit putting our hope here in this world. Let's manage our expectations. Why, people? Why do we get shocked when a broken world is broken. Why do we get shot? But we do, don't we? We get surprised every time. Like, where'd that come from? We get all offended. Like, that shouldn't be that way. You're right, but it is. Every day like that. Listen, I kayak. 
And on a kayak at the bottom, it has like this ridge that runs along the bottom. It's called the keel. At the back, it's called a skeg. And what it does is it helps a kayak when you're paddling to go straight. Now, I do a lot of river runs, which means the bottom gets scraped up. And if you store it wrong, it can warp. Now you put the kayak in the water and it, it doesn't go straight. Let's say it pulls left. Okay. Next time I drop the kayak in the water, you know what I do? I expect it to go straight. Why? It's the same kayak. It's still pulling left. I get all upset. What is going on here? Next time, I should expect it to go. I should be surprised when the kayak goes straight. That's our world. That's our world. We ought to be surprised when it goes straight, not when it doesn't. Our world is a mess. I don't want to paint that picture for you. Families are a mess. Husbands are a mess. Wives are a mess. Kids are a mess. Single people, you're a mess too. Everyone's a mess. Politicians, do I need to talk about that? Politicians are a mess. Both political parties, yours and theirs, both are a mess. And that's because we keep voting them in. Why? Because voters were a mess. Every country is a mess. Every government is a mess. What about your workplace? Employers, yep, they're a mess. Employees, yep, mess. Coworkers, have you figured out your coworkers are a mess? Absolutely. And by the way, the customer isn't always right. You know why? They're a mess. They're a mess. How about our schools? Our administrators are a mess. Our teachers. Now, hold on. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Now, some of you won't like hearing this. Teachers are a mess. Parents are a mess. Children are a mess. School boards are a mess. Why are we surprised? Healthcare? Like big pharma? Quit being surprised, right? Doctors are a mess. Nurses. Now, you already went at teachers, man. Now you're going to say, yeah, nurses are a mess. Poor nurses have to put up with patients, and patients are a mess. It's all a mess. Now, I've already gone at teachers and nurses, which are the sweethearts of Facebook. I probably don't have a job next week. So while I'm on a roll, let's talk about police. All right, so like police, I, listen, I love our, our police. I'm a chaplain to the Stowe Police Department. Uh, I invest in them, I love them. Uh, but every once in a while on a national scene, we see some police officer that doesn't go straight, but does something really dumb and harmful. And we get surprised. Why? Cops are human, they're a mess. Now, in my experience, most of them are good men and women that are doing a difficult job trying to deal with uh, people who are committing crimes because, after all, citizens, guess what we are? We're a mess, right? It's all of us. We're a mess. Oh, and by the way, it's not only out there. Churches are a mess. Pastors are a mess. And Lord have mercy, congregants, you're a mess. Right? And the thing that discourages me most in ministry, makes me want to throw in the towel, are words of harm from current and past congregants. <laughs> I walked out of first service after this message and had a guy that would not even look at me, talk to me, walked away from me and just totally dissed me uh, over something uh, years ago. I don't know. Uh, that's just, but you know what? I don't get surprised anymore. And that's my point. Don't get surprised. Maybe we should adjust our expectations. Now, I'm not saying we're okay with the mess. Boys will be boys. No, no, no. We're not okay with it. But we adjust our expectations that we're not surprised because everything is messed up. Well, that's not true. Not everything's messed up. God is glorious. 
God is glorious. See the other part of the contrast? God is glorious. What if we settled on this? The world will never satisfy. It's always broken. Only Jesus is faithful. Only he saves. Only the gospel is good. Only Jesus can be trusted. God is glorious. And so we worship him alone. We trust him alone. And we study his word in order to be in awe of him alone. And so we cling to his presence and we cling to his promise. That is the only thing that changes in Psalm 12. Psalm 12, the world's still broken, but God says, I arise, I give them my presence, I give them my promise. That's what changes. So third and last thing I want you to do is to call out to God and say, save, O Lord. Ultimately, you will have a high view of God and a low view of man. Or sometimes unbeknownst to you, you will have a high view of man and a low view of God. And that's religion, all religion, including Christian religion. And so the way that works out is I'll work hard, I'll give, I'll serve, I'll pray, I'll be a good Christian. I won't do harm with my words. I can pull it off. I'm a good person. And Psalm 12 says, the faithful have vanished. The godly are gone. Everyone lies. Everyone does it. But God is glorious. See that? We even lie about how good we are. We lie even to ourselves about how good we are. And we should cry out instead, save, O Lord. He's the only one with pure words. He's the only one that can set this thing straight. High view of God, low view of man. Save, O Lord. So what I want you to do tomorrow when you wake up is this. See, we have a problem. We wake up every day and we say, I'm going to have a good day today as long as everything goes straight. You live in a messy, broken, fallen world. Why would you ever expect that? We have to adjust our expectations because hey, I'm going to have a good day. And Oh, look, crap. Like I made it a whole 45 minutes till like the kids ticked me off, right? Like it doesn't take long and, and everything just goes to seed. That's the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same things over and over, but expecting different results, like rooting for Michigan. Like, like what do you think's going to happen, right? Like, that's going to happen. I, like, okay, now listen, what if, what if instead when you woke up tomorrow, you change things and you expect the world to be a mess and you use that to drive you to the presence and the promise of God? That's what you're looking for tomorrow, Okay. Let me pray for that, and then we'll worship Jesus. Father, thank you very much for your presence and your promise in our lives. We are desperately in need. Father, as we talk about a mess, we're not talking about people out there. I'm talking about me and my family who sit before me right now. We're a mess. And our world's a mess, and we go out expecting it to be our Savior, and then it isn't, and we're frustrated and surprised. In the midst of it, would you train us to trust you and love you and worship you and look to you and say, save, oh Lord. We pray that in Christ's name.